Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. How are you doing? Yeah, doing all right? Um, I don't know if we have, I think children are in with us today. I think next month we've got uh, a little bit more robust uh, children's ministry stuff going on. But if there is any dismissal necessary, just wanted to say that before I jump in and they weren't staring at me wondering what was going on. Um, well, there's a couple things I want to do just to mention before we jump into today's sermon as we've been tracking through the book of James. Um, but the first here is just this. I wanted to, to stop and lift up a prayer. Um, I know the Green Wall, uh, Greenwood Mall shooting took place here recently. Um, and this one, uh, in the midst of all kinds of others, it's like you come to this place where it's like, I don't even know what else to say that we haven't said, things that we um, haven't prayed, but I do want to lift it up to God. And this one in particular has a little bit more proximity, I think, to people here. In fact, I know some some people who had friends who were there hiding in one of the, the stores, um, and uh, someone else who lives out in Greenwood that comes here uh, on a regular basis, actually serves here regularly. And so it's just a little bit more of a, a proximity to us. Um, and so I just wanted to stop and pray, give a couple little updates on the other side of that, and then we'll come back to the sermon, but um, to hand this over to, to Jesus this morning. Lord, we pray the, the words of the song we just sang, that we surrender to you, Father, that we want to say, here am I, all of me take my life. It's all for thee, God. We want to hand you everything. As, as the verse is systematically asked of us, Lord, from our riches to our intellect, to our hearts and our spirits, Lord, would we just lay those before your feet, God, and we come before you today, um, some with broken hearts, maybe some with fear, some um, who with anger. And Father, what we um, want to do is to ask you to intervene on behalf of a broken world, Lord. Be with and rest with and comfort those supernaturally who have sustained losses. Father, I pray that we would put our trust in you and, and, and nothing else for our security on this earth, uh, Lord. But we just, uh, we ask for you to intervene and to pray the prayers that we don't even know that we're supposed to pray on this day. And so, Father, we come before you um, and ask for these things uh, and lift them up to you that you would receive them as a sweet-smelling incense. We lift this up in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Um, well, Pastor Ken mentioned a couple of these things. Um, we do have a, a family meeting coming up this Wednesday. It's been on all the other communication things. We just haven't talked about it a lot up front. I think I mentioned it last week without knowing the date. Um, so the date is this week, Wednesday. Um, we will put that online so that people can check it out, and we'll record it and have it on demand later. Um, but there is an important message just regarding our children's ministry as we're making some adjustments moving into the fall. So uh, please pay in, t- uh, tune in, pay attention to those things. Um, the Justice and Rec training and equipping is happening. August 27th, so keep that on your radar. We haven't mentioned it just because there's other pressing things, but I want to keep that in front of you. Please plan to be there. Um, if you're a leader here, we've sent out specific um, or, or even uh, new, and you haven't been able to take some of the other previous trainings that we've done on the gospel and race, we want you to please make time in this in your calendar. It's going to be on the morning of August 27th. Pat, uh, our Elder Doom is going to be a part of that, um, opening, uh, opening up, and then we're going to address some other things in there too um, as we, uh, we kind of circle around some ideas in that training and equipping. Um, and then I just want to, like, every year, whether you all know it or not, pastors everywhere are gearing up for some kind of launch in the fall, whether that happens in August with school, whether that happens in September. I don't know, but I'm excited for it. I feel like we have a momentum over the summer. I know this, like, you all, like, it's, it's hard to see it in the midst of this, um, but this is actually really great attendance for a summer week, right? 
There's so many people out of town. I see you all on Facebook. There's people up in Michigan. There's people checking out, I don't know, Great, Great Wolf Lodges and uh, beaches and down in Florida. And I saw someone checking off all the states that they're trying to visit. I get it. That's what the summer is. But it's been exciting to see, and I'm excited to see what happens in this fall when everyone comes back and some of the new people who have come along for the ride decide to maybe jump in and commit as we go forward. So um, get, get gear up. Be excited for it. We have some exciting things happening um, here in the fall. And that brings me to this last thing, the CG DNA class. Uh, we've been advertising it for a little bit. This is our newcomers class. And so if you've been coming for a while or you just haven't taken the class yet and you've been around and you just want to know this information, this is where we stop and say, here's the history of who Common Ground is, our heritage, where we come from. This is our mission, vision, values, and this is where we see ourselves going into the future. All right? We provide lunch for that. There is some child care for that if you need it, but it is today, right after the service. So if you're here today and you haven't done that, I want to invite you to please be a part of that. It's going to be down this east wing hallway, the first um, door on your left. Uh, again, food. Did I mention food? That there's going to be food there? Yeah. All right. Just making sure you know. Um, well, go ahead and uh, turn with me to James chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to set us up with a couple of ideas here on the whiteboard, and then we're going to go through it. Uh, James, as we have been tracking, uh, and one of the things I've tried to get us to understand over and over and over again this, um, this, uh, d- during the series over the summer has been this idea that James, or Uncle James, as we've been affectionately referring to him, has a series of lessons or teachings, maybe preachings that he's done, some kind of thing where he has imparted knowledge to others, and in this situation, he's encapsulating those into a bunch of mini teachings, puts them in a list kind of uh, format, sends them out to this group of people who are exiled. And so these are all lessons that he wants these Jewish exiled believers to understand. Now you can slice it in different ways, but it, it ends up being about two lessons per chapter with our, you know, with our, the way we break down chapters and verses in our time, because that wasn't there then. There's about 11 mini teachings encapsulated through this. And we're doing our best to teach on one of those a week. I think we're one short, so I'll double up on one of them. Um, But 11 teachings over each week. James has a specific orientation around the poor and marginalized in regards to socioeconomic class. So over and over again, he's talking about the rich and the poor. All right, that's because it's what they're dealing with in their context, in their immediate situation. So that's going to surface over and over and get emphasized with something I'm going to talk about today. Now, what I haven't put as much emphasis into is this. James's writing style, the way in which he has formed this letter, is actually fortifying all the points that he's made. Have you heard the phrase that the, that the medium is the message? Has anyone heard that before? So it's not just what I'm telling you, but the way I do it can cause either fortification, can sometimes betray what I'm teaching, right? If I'm teaching excitedly and I'm talking about sorrowful things or reverse, they can kind of work against each other. But what James has done is built into his letter through the structure is a a fortification and a message in and of itself. I want to surface that today, partly because we have time uh, and uh, and I haven't had a chance to open up with it. But what I want you to see is two things in the structure, two things. First, is that he has been writing in binaries or dualities. Maybe you've caught it already, uh, but it's been a consistent dual thread that's taken place from the first chapter all the way, and it'll take place all the way through the end, these binaries playing out. Let me give you some examples. He's talked about the rich and their dynamics with the poor. He's talked about a pathway that gains a crown of life and a pathway that gives birth to death. So we have life and death. 
He talks about not just listening to the word, but doing. There are ways of this world, and then there are ways of the spirit. He has favoritism in terms of two ideas, the rich and the poor. It's not enough just to have faith. You have to have deeds that fortify these things. Tongues can do one of two things, bless or curse. Do you see what I'm, what I'm pointing out? You catch it. There's these binaries that he's used all the way from the beginning up until now. And the reason for this is that in their day, Christianity is competing for the hearts and minds of those who are um, uh, preparing and presenting philosophies, knowledge and wisdom. They're orators, people who go and, and speak out in public areas, gaining followers to come underneath their teaching, whatever that happens to be. So they have philosophies, kinds of wisdom, knowledge, enlightenment from above. One of the most prominent is Gnosticism. Gnosticism just simply means that there is a dualistic or binary separation of the physical, which they translate as always bad, and the spiritual, which they translate as always good. So what James is doing with all of these dualities, all these binaries, is that he is mirroring the dualism, almost overplaying it, it's exaggerative to show the awareness. Like, okay, so here's a couple of dualistic ideas. Here's a couple of dualistic. Then, oh, if you forgot, we're going to b- b- break into some binaries here, some dualism, binaries. He's going to overplay that almost uh, to an extent that it's exaggerated because he wants them to know, oh, I know about that philosophy, by the way. If that's something you're operating in, I want you to know that I'm very, very aware that that's out there. And he uses it to create either a compare and contrast, uh, like a format, right, that, that causes you to compare these two ideas, or he, and then what he's going to do is reveal Jesus through that, or what he's doing is showing that they have separated and compartmentalized something that actually should be integrated, all right? So we're going to compare and contrast the ways of the Spirit and the ways of uh, the, uh, the earth. But where you have said deeds are over here and faith are here, those are actually not supposed to be separate. We're going to bring those together and integrate those two. So his knowledge of Gnosticism is continually set before them in the way that he is writing this, connecting the physical and spiritual. Why do you think he's been saying things like, hey, this is actually connected to demonic things? This is connected to heavenly ideas. He's wanting you to know that the material and spiritual are not as separate as the Gnostics have been trying to get them to understand. So this binary theme is incredibly apparent today when we jump into this. Additionally, one more structural thing that I think is important. James' letter isn't just direct. It's not just punchy. It's eloquent. James is in the middle of writing this. He's actually writing very poetically this entire letter from beginning to end. It has a very high level of Greek vocabulary. It has a very high level of of, um, poetic structuring, one that is called a chiasm. Now, it's a fun word, right? No, you're like, nah, bro, no. Say it with me. All right, one, two, three, chiasm. One more time. One, two, three, chiasm. Now, a chiasm is a literary device that presents a sequence of ideas in one order, then repeats those in reverse order. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that. So if I have a point A, then I have a point B, then I have a point C, and then I have a point D. Now I'm going to follow that up in reverse order by 
re-emphasizing point C as I kind of come up out of this. Then I'm going to drop point B again, and I'm going to come back to point A from the beginning. And there's a reason why he would structure this. One is that it, uh, it allows him um, to, to create uh, well, three, three different things specifically. This, this center idea, let me see if any of these work. Oh no, that was a horrible situation. Going green. All right, that works well enough. Whatever happens to end up at D is the most important thing in this letter. So right now you should ask yourself, what was in D? What what was at the center of this thing? Dynamics between the rich and the poor. Right at the center. A professor from the Salvation Army has a whole writing about this. Christy Condi is her name. And she is saying this whole book actually revolves around social justice, if you didn't realize that. So the D is the most important thing. That's just one reason. The second reason that you would do this is that it's mirroring back and forth um, these things. I'm going to keep using, uh, actually, this is probably not as visible up there, huh? I'll keep using the darkest one possible. So C reminds us of this. It mirrors it. It connects it. B reminds us of this. So the language is going to be similar. A comes back and reminds us of this, so that there's this refortification that mirrors or reflects back the passages that it was connected to early. So the reason I mention this today is not just to geek out on all these things, which you know I can do very easily, right? It's, it's to show you that he's going to use these things to help make some points. So he's mirroring all of the things that we are talking to uh, about today to chapter 1. One of the very first lessons, he's going to draw back and hearken kind of back all the way to chapter one in those very first uh, verses where he mentions wisdom, not being double-minded or tossed by the waves and by the wind or trends of the day. He wants us to understand that there's still a pathway leading to life or death and that there is purity of faith and he's going to use the same language that he used all the way at the beginning. Um, uh, All of this is, again, so that he can show them that he has a poetic literacy and capability and understands that the trends of the culture are competing for that. So listen to this. To be clear, James is showing off. Like he's making a big deal about this. He wants to include these elements so that he can communicate to his Jewish audience, you all fell for some tricks. Like uh, there's, there's a Greek cultural trend with wisdom, philosophies. Instead, you have gone after those things all the while the Jewish history and faith that you are already ascribed to, which is clearly depicted in the Old Testament and now connects to Jesus Christ, has all of the wisdom you need. It has all of the beauty and all of the philosophical knowledge that you need for your entire life, and you're getting caught up in all of these cultural trends in the same way that a child gets caught up in a shiny new toy. All right, you remember that? I can't tell you how many times that commercial, Crossfire, Crossfire, do y'all remember that? (laughs) Watching cartoons, and I'm like, I have to have that. There's nothing else as important as me getting that toy today. And it's because they presented it well. It was eloquent in speech. They had all the right music, so I'm excited, and I needed to have that toy. And they're getting caught up in all of these ideas. Now, in our day, we also have kinds of knowledge. Amen. We have wisdom of our day that the world depicts. We have a dualistic political framework 
We have Western and Eastern thought. There are all these philosophies, ways of parsing out what we ascribe to and ways of identifying what schools of thought we might belong to. So you can buy a flag. You can put a yard sign in your front yard. You can get a hat. You can get a bumper sticker and even a Facebook frame to put on your profile pic so that everybody knows which group you belong to, right? And what I want to do is begin thinking about those things. Are there trends that we have ascribed to that maybe we need to evaluate against the scriptures and re-understand, re-engage whether or not we should have affiliated with those things? But with all of this mentioned, please don't miss this first century sarcasm and all the humor that James is going to do in this singular opening line. Take everything that we talked about here, and what I want you to see is this. It's subtle, but catch it. It's verse, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, you all didn't laugh. You must not have caught the sarcasm going there. You see, wise is actually a Greek word that we use for poem. It's poema. So he's not just talking about conventional wisdom. He's actually saying, who is creative among you? Who's, who's the one with the wise, artistic creativity? Like, if I take this and read between the lines and help you understand, let me, let me retone that. Who, who is wise and knowledgeable amongst you? Who, who like, go ahead and stand up. Who, which one of you is teaching me what wisdom and understanding is after I just put these things before you? Like, like if it's an eloquent tongue you admire, then I'm going to use all of the big words you need so that you understand. I can do that. We can go that route. And James is saying if, if you've fallen for poetic or for, for Gnostic dualism, then look, I can do that from beginning to end throughout my letter so that you understand I get that. I'm going to use it to correct you. But we can do that too if that's what you need. Oh, no, no. You're the kind of people who gets enchanted by beautiful poetry. So I'm going to write a letter so poetic, boom, structure the whole thing So that you don't get enamored by the poets of this day, but that you understand there is a God of the universe, the only wise king who put the sun and the moon and the stars, this is Psalm 19, so that they pour out speech and wisdom and understanding declaring one thing, Jesus Christ is king. So, so who, again, who is it? Who's Who's poetic among you? Any, any one of you want to raise your hand? Who's, who's, who's the wise one out there? Like your poetry is weak compared to the artistry of a God who wrote the fabric of the universe and inside of it ordered all of creation. All of that is in a single line. Who is wise and understanding among you? And Uncle James is going to continue let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Now, Uncle James, he's going to take us to school because he's also building in this new lesson, one that you should have heard about at some point in your life. It's called show and tell. Show and tell, but, but there's a dynamic there that needs to be noticed. First, you what? You show. 
You pull your thing, your gadget, whatever it is, your, your, uh, what's the poppet thing that's really popular right now, you pull that thing out of your backpack and you show it and all the kids get to go, wow, and then you tell them all about it and what it means to you, right? First you show, then you tell. And James is brilliantly elementary as he begins to approach them. He said, don't just talk. Don't just claim, don't just be enamored, but live a life that puts those things on display so that whatever philosophy it is that you embrace will be apparent through your deeds. And so you might be sitting in a situation where someone comes up to you and says, hello, good sir. You seem to live an admirable life. Do tell. By what philosophy is it that you live? And then James gets to say, well, well have, you, have you heard of Jesus Christ? It's actually not a new philosophy at all. It's something that has happened throughout the Jewish history, and you can go through the whole thing and proclaim the gospel. First you show, then you tell. And so live this life in a way that causes people to want to know what is informing the decisions that you're making your life out of. James continues, he's going to give us another binary today, two kinds of wisdom, and this is what it says. I'm going to read the rest of this little section, and then we'll come back through the two sections. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of what? Just checking if you're following me. Righteousness. Okay. I'm going to flip this on you. Don't get wowed by my amazing artistic skills, by the way. I know you're jealous. Don't get jealous. We have two types of wisdom. I got this little character in the middle and kind of pointing towards his head are these things competing for his ideas. The wisdom of heaven, got some clouds and some nice like divine light beams coming out of there. And then the wisdom of the earth, that was the best earth I could do in the time allotted for me. Two types of earthly wisdom or of, of, of wisdom. And so what's going to happen here is he's going to, he has, what has happened is he's given us these, these list of attributes. And I want to root them back a little bit with this. So what we just learned is that earthly wisdom, but it's also inside of it, it says uh, uh, considered equal to, to demonic wisdom, right? Unspiritual and demonic was the attributes, or not the attributes, but the, uh, the names that he gave it. And they're characterized by these attributes, Oh, I also went to the wrong one. Attributes. What does it say? Bitter what? What's next? Selfish ambition. I got a little cheat sheet here just in case y'all don't talk quick enough. Selfish ambition. I'm just going to put ambition, but you get the both of it just for shorthand. What's next? We got boasting. What's next? denies the truth. Now, the other thing I wanted you to do is that it has a kind of fruit. It produces something. So if you act like this, there is a product as a result of this. This isn't quite as in direct order, so I'm going to use this to show you. There is disorder, 
And we're going to talk about what that means in here in just a second. And evil practices. Now, what, what, den- what it means to um, deny the truth, before we go any further, I want to kind of take a look at this. There's these two categories, right? Attributes and products. What it means to deny the truth, some people connect these two together, and I thought that was useful. The ESV Global Commentary says James is admonishing his audience to refrain from sinning against the truth by boasting of their wisdom. So in boasting, you're actually denying the truth because you're saying something that's not true. It also could have to do with this idea of just general truth, what happens to be true and maybe directly connected to um, Jesus or even in their day, some Jewish people trying to get people um, who are Gentiles to follow the rules. So earthly wisdom then produces, as a result, disorder and all kinds of evil practices. Now he's not just coming up with these at random. This isn't just a random bunch of ideas that he thinks somebody is acting in. He is saying that because apparently they are putting these attributes into practice. So if somebody were to see their life, they would say that that's not something that comes from heaven. That's something that comes from earth and it's creating disorder and evil practice. But um, what I want you to see is that if we reverse engineer this a little bit, and I'll show you the reflection of it here in just a second, is that if you act like this, you have consumed or internalized or agreed with wisdom that does not come from God but has been sown into the earth by the ministry of demons. All right, they have a ministry, right? Their, their ministry is to steal, kill, and destroy. They have directives. And so the demon's goal is the same of their father that we call the father of lies, So all of this originates from the father of lies. Now, now, um, on the other side of this idea, he's going to paint this other depiction, right? And so we talked about disorder, which directly connects to this idea of what God did in the beginning in Genesis to order all of creation in a way that would cause flourishing, that life would be teeming from the things that he put together. But I want to reread verse, starting in verse 17 to the end so we can remind ourselves here, what is the fruitful product of these things? So verse 17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, all right? So that's its, it's kind of name as well. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. So we have these attributes as well over here. And it's peace-loving. I'm going to go ahead and do some more shorthand. There is mercy. It's impartial and sincere. And it has a product as well, so it will produce some things. Uh, I was going all caps, sorry, trying to keep it together. What was the product? Good what? And the fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and anyone? Self-control. Yeah, that's right. We're on the same wavelength, (laughs) me and the kids. So there's fruitfulness, right? Y'all heard that song? Those are the fruits of the Spirit. So the product will come out with love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and then also a harvest of righteousness. So I'm just going to put righteousness. Just put right, actually. 
But what I want you to see, too, is that this doesn't just come from nowhere. If you follow the chiasm back all the way to the beginning, it actually reflects the lesson that we learned from verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, which tells us this. Wisdom comes from the Father of lights, in whom there is neither variation nor shifting shadow. So where does this come from? The Father of what? Yes. All right. You may not be able to read my handwriting, but as we've talked through it, what we have is a set of attributes, a product as a result of us living according to those attributes, and they have an origination, one from the Father of lights, one from the Father of lies. Now, again, in the heavenly side of these things, the Father of lights created an order in which we are to live. He built it into creation. He built it into the stars. He built it into the rotation of the earth that life would flourish and be teeming and overflowing with fruitful multiplication. And ever since the day that that was broken, we have been asked to be a part of a ministry called Reconciliation. And so the demons steal, kill, and destroy, but the people of God are meant to reconcile and bring back that ordering to come back to the way God originally asked for things to be created. And so we have this kind of, I mean, as James has employed elementary ideas in the midst of this very complicated, poetic, beautiful, eloquent letter he brings us to the basics of the faith, to the basics of us understanding why and how God created this earth to run. And as simple as that is, it's so hard to do, isn't it? As simple as that is, you and I, like this character in the middle, follower of Jesus, trying to do the best that we can with what we've been given, are still standing between the tension of this earthly wisdom over here and this heavenly wisdom over here. And sometimes we struggle to do it to the best of our extent. And so these two worlds are pointing at us. Are we going to live like this or are we going to live like this? And the words of James from chapter 1 come back to haunt us. Let me read it. Because how is it that we are going to continually say, release this, release the earth, release the wisdom over here, and embrace the wisdom of heaven. Come back to it, peace, mercy, impartiality, sincerity. How do we, how do we discipline our hearts, our lives, our minds to come back to this? Well, this is one of the things that James told us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like someone who is blown and tossed by the winds and the sea. Do you see how beautifully crafted this letter is? He's bringing us right back to this beginning. Think about the double-mindedness that we embrace. Think about how often we turn to envy and ambition. I have, I have, I'm going to admit this to you. I have an envy. There's a down near our house. Do you all know who Soma is? Soma is a church downtown. It's right by a movie theater, Target. You probably know the Target down there, right? So we lived on Keystone. I love their building. I jog by their building almost every day and think, I wish I had that building. I think it looks cool. It's got more room than we have here. It's closer to the city, which is something I love. It's bricks, and it's, it just looks cool. 
So now when I go past it, this is my habit. I run past it, I do a giant circle, sometimes two or three until my heart gets right, and I say the prayer of the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray, God, help Soma Church love you with their hearts, soul, mind, and strength. Give them more uh, influence in this city. Let the neighborhood love them. And I just pray for their goodness and their, uh, that they would be uh, brought into new levels of influence and capability and discernment and love into their area. And my hope is that one day I would just want the best for them and not envy something they have that I wanted. We turn to envy and ambition and boasting and we deny the truth in our boasting and we disorder and we turn to evil practices because the father of lies is speaking it over us all the time. But think about in our day the philosophies that we've consumed. What ideologies have you internalized? What things of our day have been shopped at you just like some cartoon toy infomercial that says if you did this, your life would be better or more whole or would work out to your desire more so? What fruit is produced? If you don't know what you've internalized, maybe look at your fruit because the fruit will point back to whatever has gone inside. It just overflows out of these things because up here we could add individualism. Up here, we can add materialism, consumerism. I mean, lots of isms out there that we could take our pick from. There's the allure of youth athletics. I'm kind of joking, kind of not. Certainly, nationalism presents a direct threat to Christianity in our day. You can go liberalism. You can go conservatism, right? If you don't feel politically homeless right now, you made a mistake, None of this fits the kingdom. Pastor Albert Tate is one of my favorite pastors. I follow him. Uh, and maybe this is obvious, but maybe it's not. So I'm going to read this quote. I can't live completely under the elephant, and I don't fit completely under the donkey. That's why I just lay at the feet of the lamb. I don't have a home. And God is saying, that's right, because I, this world ain't your home. Your home is the kingdom of God. So it's not just, listen, it's not just a don't do these things, like slap on the hand, do better, work harder, pull yourself out of this. The idea is that you get to be freed from these things. They have a way of presenting themselves as if they want to be a part of your life because they love you. None of these things, none of them love you. They look like wisdom. Why? Well, it temporally gives you what you want to hear in a moment's notice. They're suspended, though, by these limitations of humans because humans made these things. They don't come from heaven. It was constructed on earth. They are wrought with the imperfections and selfish gains that all of us walk around in. And so will you agree with the world's wisdom? And will God's wisdom sometimes overlap with the earth? Yes. A broken clock is right how many times a day? It's going to align every once in a while. But hear this, these things and all of the isms I mentioned, they do not deserve your allegiances. They do not deserve your affection. They don't love you. They don't care about you. They are wholly undevoted to you in anything that does good for your life in so much as you give them a vote or a click or a subscription so that they can continue their own agendas and their own success. 
And 1 Timothy reminds us, now unto the king eternal, immortal and invisible, the only wise king, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The only wise king. That's where wisdom comes from. He's the father of lights and he loves you. What this promises to deliver, he can. What this pretends to be for you, he actually is. And so let's spend a little bit of time thinking about this. Not in perfection, not that everything in your life needs to change overnight, but that there should be progress, adjustments made that you would walk further away from this and further in alignment with this. Where have you established peace? Where have you established mercy in your walk? Where have you been impartial? Where have you learned to be impartial where you saw partiality? Where have you learned to be sincere? Where are the fruits of the Spirit coming up in your life? Where is a harvest of righteousness? And where God has made you right before him, now begin to act out of those things. Where have you pledged your allegiances? Where have you engaged in unfruitful practices. And what we want to ask is that God would help us to become more and more in alignment with the things on this side than the things on the other. Now, if you're going to make adjustments, if you're going to grow, if you're going to develop, I just want to throw real quickly some uh, ideas that we've talked about, but I just want to pull them. Uh, this is going to feel incredibly elementary, so I'm going to take again a cue from Uncle James. If this is not a part of your normal practice, please read your Bible. You don't get any of this without reading your scriptures. And so one of the things I need you to begin doing is reading your Bible on a regular basis. Turn off the other things, the podcasts, the talk radio, the books, the voices of our culture. Read your Bible, please. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, is what the Psalms tell us, or the, the Proverbs tell us. The second thing is get into community with one another. If you're not in a community, if you're not in one of, as, as we develop our men's and women's ministries, as we develop our house churches and launch new house churches here in the fall, we want to invite you to consider doing that in this season. Be around people who are allowing iron to sharpen iron, who are allowing you to come into alignment and helping you to do that. Be in community with God and people who are are spurring you on towards discipleship in Christ. You have to have people around you to help you with your blind spots, to help push you when you're tired, to help be there when you need to repent and get something out of your system. Hang out with people who are taking the scriptures seriously. But last, what James mentioned at the beginning is consider it all joy when you in, uh, endure trials. One of our greatest teachers are the trials, and that's what causes us through that algorithm that James put out, that you persevere, and through perseverance, you are made whole and complete. And so begin to engage your trials in a way that allows these things to become the products of your life. I'm going to pray for us really quick. I want to ask that God builds this into our life so that when it comes out of you, when it shows out, you have opportunities to tell. Don't forsake the telling. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask for your wisdom through your people uh, that, that would infiltrate this earth. 
God, could we be living examples of this show-and-tell understanding? Could we be those who would understand that by changing our lives, we have the ability to speak out, to proclaim as the stars do the glory of who you are? And that that wisdom would just saturate everything on this earth till incrementally, place by place, household by household, nation by nation, the kingdom of heaven becomes present here on earth through us. So God, help us to fight the battle of the tension between the wisdom of the world. Give us discernment. Make us aware. Give us an awakening in our hearts that allows us to adequately say, that is from the earth. And slowly by slowly, Inch by inch, Lord, may we become people who are filled with the wisdom that comes from you, the Father of lights, to the benefit of our joy, to the benefit of your glory, to the benefit of the wholeness that could be brought to this earth through it. Thank you for loving us, Father, that we would surrender our lives and love you with our whole selves. We lift this up in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, as we do, we're going to take um, just a couple minutes to respond to this. Um, and we ask you to do that in a couple different ways. We're going to sing and lift up our voices in a few minutes together. Um